0: I'm so happy to hear you confess the worthiness of Jesus because, number one, I need that. Number two, he asks of us some things that are not so easy. And were he less of a king, were he less of a savior, it would be um, maybe not right for him to ask that of us. See, I don't know if you've ever thought about how inconvenient it is to follow Jesus. You see, if if I were Jesus' personal coach, I would have advised him to make it easy on people. Give them what they want to hear. Because if you make it easy on them and give them what they want to hear... You'll have more followers. Well, the good news is Jesus didn't listen to me. The bad news is that he didn't make it easy. In fact, he made it downright impossible to follow him and to do what he asks. See, He's already mentioned in this, we're in the Sermon on the Mount this morning, He's already picked some of the hardest things you can imagine to ask us to do. He's already invited us to follow Him, provided we acknowledge our spiritual poverty. To be included in His kingdom, provided that we mourn. To join with Him, provided that we're meek. Then he said, Yes, and to be part of my kingdom, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Okay, that's asking quite a bit. But then he goes even farther and says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so, as if he couldn't get the bar high enough, he just continues to raise it. And if that weren't enough, he then zeroes in on the very things that will cause us problems. He zeroes in, shall I say, on my weak spots. There are two of those he he picks today, but he's already talked about anger, and he's already talked about lust, he's already talked about keeping your word. And This morning he's going to give us two more examples of the heart change that defines what it means to live in his kingdom. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn in them to Matthew chapter 6. And I begin reading in verse 14. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 14. Let me just uh, catch you up here in this sermon. The Sermon on the Mount has been interrupted by what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus had been talking about prayer, uh, praying for the right reasons, not praying for the wrong reasons, not thinking that prayer is somehow magic. And then it's almost as though it dawned on him. And he said, I should teach these people how they should pray. And so he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer, which is an interruption in the main point that Jesus was making. The main point is this, namely, that living life in the kingdom is a fundamentally different way to live life than merely to be religious. To live in the kingdom of heaven is to live differently than you would if you were merely the kingdom on earth. And so here in Matthew 6, 14 through 18, there are two more ways, two additional ways in which life is different. Two more ways that both demand our hearts be changed so that we might live this way and also indicate whether or not our lives have been changed nothing indicates the condition of your heart more clearly than your ability and inclination to forgive. Nothing indicates the condition of your heart more clearly than your inclination to forgive and your concern over what other people think of you. Those are the two issues Jesus takes up in this part of his sermon. These are the two levers that he pulls so that he focuses the spotlight on the condition of our hearts. And as he focuses that light on us, it displays whether we are kingdom people or whether we are mere impostors. So here Jesus gives us two tests for genuine kingdom membership. A life of forgiveness, really, and a life of repentance before God. Those two things are indicators uh, of whether our hearts have been changed and whether we belong in His kingdom. So let's take them in turn. The first is simply that kingdom people... Forgive. Kingdom people, forgive. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I'm just going to say, if you look at that, those words in your Bible, they sound pretty hard to deal with. In fact, I frankly want to soften it. My inclination here as your pastor is to kind of do a little soft shoe and make it okay. Jesus apparently doesn't have that concern. But let's think for a moment about what Jesus is saying, what he's not saying. I don't think Jesus is suggesting that you receive forgiveness from God as a payment for your good behavior. Namely, the good behavior of forgiving other people. In other words, this is not some works-based contingent forgiveness that God gives to only those that get it right. And I say that because God's never worked that way. He didn't work that way with Adam and Eve. He didn't work that way with Moses or with David or throughout the Old Testament. He's never worked that way. Nor do you lose your forgiveness with God simply because you struggle to forgive someone. We all struggle to forgive. But what Jesus is communicating here is that he wants to get you all the way through the struggle to the forgiveness and not to stop short. So if he's not saying you can lose it, if he's not saying that you have to earn it, why does he say it like that? I think Jesus leaves it like this so that we hear how seriously God takes your forgiveness of those who have injured you. I think Jesus leaves it like this so that we cannot mistake the fact that His kingdom is a kingdom of forgiveness. Forgiveness that is from God, forgiveness that is toward other people, that is the nature of His kingdom. I think He leaves it like this so that we recognize kingdom people don't have the alternative of not forgiving or of pretending forgiveness. In other words, Jesus is comfortable leaving the question Jesus is comfortable allowing us to worry about whether we've been forgiven by God so that we prioritize forgiving other people. Again, I'm less comfortable with that. In fact, I'm completely uncomfortable with that, I'm just going to say. But you need to know Jesus does not say, Hey, y'all have asked me into your heart. You're good. Don't worry about it. I'm really talking about some other folks. Jesus doesn't do that. That's not even a category Jesus, I think, would understand. He's letting us know that he is deathly serious about forgiveness. Both your forgiveness from God and your forgiveness of other people. And if the way that Jesus talks about it here makes you uncomfortable or insecure, Jesus is willing to risk it because forgiveness is that important to him. Jesus is willing to risk your insecurity so that you get the message that your forgiveness of those who've hurt you is of eternal consequence. If you're going to be a kingdom person with kingdom priorities, then forgiveness will be top of mind for you like it is for God. So why is it so hard to forgive other people? I mean, you probably, like me, have heard heroic stories of people who have forgiven the person who killed their son, or the person who caused the accident that paralyzed them, or something dramatic like that. I, mean, I hear those things and I just get, frankly, I just get psyched out. Because that seems impossible and unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the more I hear those things or think about those things, the more I think I could never do anything like that. And I do know that some of you who are hearing this have been called to probably some variation of dramatic forgiveness like that. That you have been Hurt in ways that are just unthinkable. That seem impossible to forgive. And God still wants you to know that yours uh, forgiveness is important. And that His kingdom is a kingdom of forgiveness. And He wants to help you be a person of forgiveness. The reality is, there are some things that are really that hard. And the reality is, there are some things that are really not that hard that we simply make hard. I mean, for me, the thing that just uh, happened this last week I left some stuff laying around the house exactly where I wanted it, just for the record. Marcia picked it up. Put it away and I couldn't find it. And I'll just say, I stewed about that and steamed about that and stomped around about that the rest of the day. And yeah, there are things like that and there are things that are far more serious. But the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom where forgiveness has center stage. So what are we talking about when we're talking about forgiveness? I think, most simply, forgiveness is deciding not to require payment for someone else's wrongdoing. Forgiveness is deciding not to require that somebody else make it right when they've wronged you. That's really the nature of the trespass she's talking about. When somebody trespasses against you, that means that they've overstepped their bounds. They have done something to hurt you. When that happens, forgiveness means that you choose to live with the consequences of their sins. You make a deliberate choice to recognize this happened and it's not going to be made right by them. I'm not going to demand that it's made right by them. The reality is that you're going to live with the consequences of their actions regardless of whether you choose to forgive them or not. Or to say it another way, and I'm just hoping to turn this idea of forgiveness multiple ways. To say it another way, forgiveness is letting it go. Just merely letting it go. So that They're not on your hook anymore. It's letting them off the hook. That's what forgiveness is. And to forgive someone and let them off your hook is an act of faith. I think what Jesus is asking of His followers in His kingdom is an act of faith. Trusting a just God to do what is right. To not forgive... To not forgive is to believe that either God will get it wrong or to believe that He somehow needs your help. Neither of which are true. And so we let it go. We let someone off our hook. And we do that, we do that not for their sake but for our sake. Because if we don't let them go, they're still hooked to us. And so here, I think, Jesus is asking us to forgive someone, let them off our hook, so that we might be free from the injury that they have caused us. Now, I personally would separate forgiveness from reconciliation. Not everybody would do that, but I think it's helpful to think of them in two different parts. Thankfully, Jesus has accomplished both parts for us. He, has, he, he lived and died and rose again that we might be forgiven and, when we turn, reconciled to God. But here I think we're talking about letting it go or forgiving. In other words, you don't have to run back and get hurt again simply because you choose to forgive. You're not required to be best friends with the person who hurt you. You don't need to return to be abused again. You're simply letting them off your hook. You might not even see that person again, the person you need to forgive. The person might even be dead, and you need to forgive them. But here, Jesus is letting us know that central to His kingdom is forgiving others when they have trespassed or overstepped and hurt you, as well as being forgiven by God when you have overstepped and trespassed and hurt Him. You might need to forgive someone over and over. In fact, you probably will. You may need to make a decision every day, not to hold past wrongs against someone else, and that might be a decision that happens every single day. It might be a decision that happens even more frequently than that. It's a great grace if you're able to forgive and forget, but most of us forget and remember, or forgive and remember, and we need to forgive again and again. Timothy Keller suggests that there is a self-renunciation that comes when you forgive. In other words, when you forgive, you have decided, I'm not going to get my due. I'm not going to get what I deserve. You might even be admitting that someone else wins and comes out ahead, which is part of what is so difficult about forgiveness. But here, Jesus is stressing how important forgiveness is and how indicative it is of our participation in His kingdom. This kingdom He is ushering in, He says, will be known for and known by forgiveness. Nothing else, nothing short of that will do. It's, Forgiveness is the new default setting for those who are citizens of His kingdom. To claim citizenship in His kingdom and decide I'm not going to forgive is to decide I'm not going to be part of His kingdom. Jesus has been after this same kind of thing over and over, hasn't He? You can almost see Him preaching a sermon on this uh, mountainside. And there, sprinkled throughout the crowd, are these Pharisees in their long religious gowns. And he's he's pointing them out, talking about praying on the street corner. He's pointing them out, giving alms and blowing a trumpet. But now he's no longer pointing at them, is he? He's pointing at us. And he's saying, Yes, you need to forgive. You need to be the one who lets it go. And forgives. Forgiveness is what kingdom people do. They're marked by forgiveness and they enjoy God's forgiveness. The second thing that we notice in this passage that marks citizens of the kingdom is that kingdom people repent and seek God's approval alone. So, Jesus wants us to be free from the hooks that somebody else has uh, in us by forgiving them. He also wants us to be free from seeking other people's approval. We've seen this before, the beginning of chapter 6. If you turn, if you just look back up at the top of uh, the chapter there. Starts out by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then we're interrupted by the Lord's Prayer, and now we have fasting. And apparently, Jesus wants us to see the hypocrisy the hypocrisy of desiring other people's approval, of being worried about what they think. It's easy to do, isn't it? It's second nature. For most of us. Jesus calls it out as hypocrisy. The fact that we really care about what other people think. I don't know about you, but most of the time I have a pretty good hypocrisy meter. Uh, Yeah, 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 That that person's just putting on a show. Yes, that person isn't sincere, and I make up stories, right, as I look around. But you know where I hate hypocrisy the most? In myself. And I think Jesus wants to make sure that we see it in ourselves. Jesus isn't saying, hey, look around at all those other hypocrites. (laughs) Rather, he's saying, you know what? The way hypocrites do is they really care what other people think. And so they put on a little show. They look a little better than they really are for the sake of other people. And Jesus wants me to see it in myself. I think He wants you to see it in yourself. And it, so much so that He's gone over and over and over this same ground. He's gone over it with prayer, He's gone over it with giving gone over with keeping your word, now he's talking about fasting and repentance. He starts off in verse 16 and he says, and when you fast. He assumes that you will be fasting at some point. It's probably worth thinking about that for a moment. Why do people fast? Why would somebody voluntarily go without food? Well, there's one, there was one fast, really, that was, that was nailed down in Israel's history on their calendar. Every year they, would, they were to have this same fast and this same experience of giving up food for a period of time. And that was the Day of Atonement, which meant that they were to go without food as they sought the forgiveness that they needed from God. Isn't that interesting? That this doesn't look like it goes with the previous verse, but it does. That there is this forgiveness that we need from God that is often accompanied by fasting. I just read this morning in uh, my time with the Lord uh, in the book of Esther, of all places, and Esther hears that her people are all going to be killed, and she's inclined to do nothing, but when... Somebody prevails upon her and, and asks her to say, take a stand. She said, "Declare a fast for three days." And why would she do that? Because she knows that she needs a rescue. She knows that she needs salvation, that she cannot provide herself. And so there's this invitation to seek God for forgiveness and salvation. And that is part of this experience. And you're to assume here, the way it talks about it, that it's not the best experience, right? It's the best experience to feast, like we did at Thanksgiving. It's the worst experience to go without food. And he says, it makes it tempting to look gloomy, like the hypocrites, to disfigure your face and look all sad and upset. And he said, that's not what I want you to do. He said, put your gel in. Wash your face. Put on your makeup. Shave. So that no one will know that you've been fasting. Except for your Father. Because it's His approval that you're after. It's the approval of God that the kingdom person desires above all else. As though it does not matter what other people think. What matters is the approval of your Father who sees in secret. And so your fasting is about repentance and humility. It's the only reason you'd go out without when you didn't have to. So you could remind yourself that God is the one who brings salvation and forgiveness. That He alone is holy and you need to be saved from your sins. In that kind of repentance, that kind of seeking the approval of God alone is the opposite of what we're inclined to do, isn't it? God is in... Jesus is addressing the person who wants to be good in public and bad in secret. And Jesus said, no. It's what goes on in secret that your father notices. Don't work to appear better than you are. Don't be up or down depending on what other people think of you. You see, it really doesn't matter what other people see. Yeah, they see some of it, but God sees that too. And God sees what's in secret. God sees what no one else can see. And so, it is His approval and His approval alone that you seek. It's the integrity of realizing that who I am in private is really who I am. That who I am in private is who I am before God. And that's what I want. I want God God to give me that kind of heart that seeks His approval alone. The Christian life is always forgiving and repenting and forgiving and repenting and forgiving and repenting. That is the kingdom life. And it's inconvenient. And it's hard. And why would Jesus make a big deal of that? Why wouldn't Jesus make it a little easier? Or a little more fun? I want to remind you of how the sermon starts. If you go back to the first part of chapter 5. The very first word blessed blessed the kingdom life jesus says is the good life the kingdom life is the life that is flourishing and fully human and you're only going to be fully human when you live in accordance with the way god is turning the world right side up in his kingdom And Jesus loves you enough. He loves you enough that He came into this world and we celebrate that at Advent and He lived a perfect life and He died on an awful cross for your forgiveness. Yes, He loves you enough to forgive your sins. And He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But more than that, He is faithful and just He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and He loves you enough to demand that you forgive those who've hurt you. Because He wants you to have the freedom that comes from forgiveness. He wants you to experience Life as it's meant to be lived, not a bitter, shrinking, angry life. The kingdom life is a life of forgiveness. And He loves you. And He invites you into a life that is free from trying to impress other people. He invites you into a life of integrity. So, that your heart is changed in such a way that you care only what God thinks of you. And so, what God sees in secret matches what other people see outside. Which means that kingdom life, a life that's fully flourishing, is a life of constant and secret repentance. So, yes, following Jesus is inconvenient. And yes, He calls us to a life that is hard, even downright impossible, but I must say that He enables what He demands. That not only by His example in forgiving us, but also by the very experience of that forgiveness, He enables us to let other people go. And so it's because of His love, that He calls us into a blessed kingdom life. He is bringing a new creation, breaking into this world, reorganizing human life into the way that it's meant to be lived, life that is truly and fully human. And He loves you and He wants that for you. And so will you let go of your right To pay people back. Will you let go of your need for other people's approval? And seek only the approval of God. And seek only the forgiveness that comes from your Father. And let other people off your hook. You see, that's the kingdom life. The blessed life. The good life. Offered to you by Jesus. May we all experience that together. Let's pray. Oh, great God and Father, this is a a big deal. For many of us, we've been hurt so badly. We can't exact revenge or payment. We can't really make it right. So, Father, would you grant us grace? Maybe grace every day, maybe grace every hour to forgive those who've hurt us. May you grant us freedom from the worry of what people think about us. And may we seek only your approval. May you be our only audience. And may we live blessed lives in your kingdom because you help us. In the name of Jesus, amen.